another pot of coffee is brewing, my week at work was longer, and the drinking of hot beverages was somewhat derailed on Thursday when my kettle, after nine years long service, decided to give up the ghost. However, thanks to same-day delivery, I have now joined the advanced 21st century with a brand new one cup hot water dispenser that looks like it would probably belong in the ship from today's book. All that means is that it's time for the next book episode of Not Before Coffee, season four. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, film addict, TV show marathoner, hermit, long-term depression sufferer, and very honest caffeine fiend. Light the candles, get yourself a fresh cup of something hot or a glass of something chilled, depending entirely on when you're listening, of course, and let's get started. This week, I am joined by Chance Whitmore from Strive, Seek, Find and his daughter Erica as we talk about the first book in a series from science fiction author Brandon Sanderson, Skyward. Defeated, crushed and driven almost to extinction, the remnants of the human race are trapped on a planet that is constantly attacked by mysterious alien starfighters. Spencer, a teenage girl living among them, longs to be a pilot. When she discovers the wreckage of an ancient ship, she realises this dream might be possible, assuming she can repair the ship, navigate flight school and, perhaps more importantly, persuade the strange machine to help her because this ship, uniquely, appears to have a soul. Hey, thank you for joining me. Hi. Thanks for having us. It's going to be a good time. I think so. It's one of those books I was surprised. And as I said, when you suggested it, I'd never even heard of the author. And when I mentioned that in a chat room just yesterday, they were horrified. <laughs> yeah, I, I was surprised you hadn't heard of him because uh, of some of the stuff that he's he's done you know, he's fan- his fantasy stuff is kind of is good. You know, I, I've read one of his trilogies. I read his Mistborn, but usually, what people know him for is finishing up uh, the Eye of the World series. Is the Eye of the World? I'm trying to think. Is that the Jordan series? Uh, that's the jo- Robert Jordan. Yeah, Wheel of Time. He was the guy that was Wheel of Time. Yes, I I always call it by the first book for some reason because it came out when I graduated from high school and actually had it then probably. Yeah, that's the thing I'd never I've never read the Wheel of Time series either. I just know it from being on TV well, on Amazon. But I was Amazon. yeah, I was one of those people I wasn't massively into the sci-fi fantasy genre despite reading stacks of Neil Gaiman and Tom Holt. I was never hugely into the world building stuff. That was more mm-hmm. my brother. So what made you pick this particular book? Well, honestly, I was looking for something for Erica to read that I might be able to relate to as well, because she is a uh, voracious fantasy reader yes. and, and the young adult. Fan, and what has happened is she's handed me some of her books and she is unimpressed with my reactions. So is that correct? Yes. Yes. Very true. Give an example. Um, you're calling one of my current favorite series Harry Potter, and I get how there's some relation to it, but it is not Harry Potter. There are some major differences in it. What's this series that? Um, Keeper of the Lost Cities. And who's that by? Sharon Messenger. 
I read the first book and it was, uh, and I, I made a lot of jokes and she was unimpressed. <laughs> yes. Very unimpressed. That's the thing. Reaction. It's really difficult, I think, when multi-generational reading. It's kind of like that two-tone when you see films like Up. Everybody mm-hmm. adult watches the first 10 minutes and cries their eyes out and you've got the children going, what's so sad about that? I'll never watch Up again for that very reason. <laughs> You see, I watch it for that very reason, because I like the 10 minutes where it makes me sob my heart out. The same with Onward. I went to see that in the cinema and the kids were coming out going, oh, that was fantastic and so amazing. And I was standing there physically sobbing. <laughs> I, I, I had less problem with Onward for some reason than I did with Up. And I don't know why. I enjoy Onward. I was actually rewatching it on Disney+. Plus just a couple of nights ago, just if nothing else, just for the ability for the scenes where they turn um, the workouts into combat moves. Oh, that's brilliant. (laughs) That is really good. And I think I probably related to it more because I lost my dad when I was 11. So that Mm -hmm. not really knowing much of him and having very, very small memories was incredibly relatable. But coming out of the cinema and being the only one crying was a bit... There's loads of children here and they're looking at me weirdly. What's so sad? <laughs> it's like, I still don't feel it's sad about it. Oh, it's a lovely film. Are you trying to get rid of me already? <laughs> no! Oh, nice. So what other books do you like to read that you've passed on? Currently, that's the opening series I've tried to pass on to people. But one book that I series that I've tried with my mom. I don't remember the name of the series, but it's it's a series about a woman dressing up as a knight and going to the castle and switching places with her twin brother because um, he didn't want to become a knight and she didn't want to become a sorcerer, so they switched places. That sounds really familiar, but then it's also got a very, very Shakespearean twist to it. Mm-hmm. It's like, the first book's like Alan, A-L-A-N. Uh-huh. Which we which we say, Alan. <laughs> it's it sounds very familiar, and I'd say that is modelled quite well on Twelfth Night. Yeah, that was uh, the what what I was thinking of too. The uh, the funny thing is, and I, th- I this was this was unique. This book was unique in that I actually got her to read it. Usually, if I suggested or hand it to her, she holds on to it for six months. Pre- pretends she's actually working through it, and then stashes it back on my bookshelf. I read The Call of the Wild. Okay, one. One other book. <laughs> uh, the, the, when I, get, I gave her uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. I gave her Call It Courage. I gave her dozens of books, and she's read, I think, two. The only other one I can think of that she read was Gaiman's uh, Norse Mythology. Oh, that's an amazing book. It Not is. as good as, and him reading it, I list, I've got it on Audible as well. And listening to him read it is wonderful. I will have to look for that one. I, didn't, I didn't, haven't pulled that one down on my Audible account yet. Yeah, I de- that was the first book I actually pulled down on my Audible account was Neil Gaiman's Norse Mythology. Norse Mythology. Okay. <clears throat> it's called Alana, the First Adventure, the first book. And it's from the Song of the Alliance series by Tamara Pierce. Me and my mom have both read this and it's a lot of fun. She, does she like it or not? I think she enjoyed it, but I think I enjoyed it a lot more. Than- it's all that it's it's all down to target audience, I think. 
with things like that. Whereas uh, the one thing that I took away from this book was that there were multiple levels to it, but there was also that element of, I have to be honest, I didn't want to put it down and go to sleep last night Mm -hmm. because I'd reached a point where the story was really building and there's no moment where it's quiet. No, Sanderson did a good job. He does a great job interweaving plots and keeping things moving, even giving the idea, the feeling that the characters may have a little bit of downtime, but the story doesn't have any downtime. I struggled through the first part of the book just because it was like a lot of buildup, but there was nothing that really hooked me. So it was it was like an inactive prologue almost. Uh-huh. You didn't like? I mean, I figured that you would eat that up. The uh, the seems like your sort of book. Uh, the the poor mistreated young woman. <laughs> I except- prefer it when there are fantasy creatures that I can dream about. <laughs> Even better. Yeah, totally no, spaceships. Like phoenixes. Isn't that Harry Potter? Not really. There are um, different books that have phoenixes. In I was going to say, in that case, you would like the house in the Cerulean Sea. Mm-hmm. I was listening to that episode on my way home yesterday. You'll have to. I'll show it to you. All right. But you would like that book because there are magical yes. creatures in it, and they're all children. And it is a lovely book, I have to say. Not spoiling the episode, but it is a lovely book. I did enjoy it. It was the first, I think only the second decent book I've reviewed this year. <laughs> Which is really sad. So what did you like what did you like about this book and the characters? I really like how Grand Grand and Spencer's mom disagreed on a lot of things because it showed like the differences between generations and how things can change from generation to generation based on the circumstances. And also the fact I don't think, I think that Grand Grand was Spencer's dad's mum. Mm-hmm. That's, yep. that's the feeling I got given the stories that she told throughout. She was definitely from that. She was the one that, she came from that engineering background and mom did not so much come from that engineering background. And mom, I think mom had a lot of, anger and pride that had she passed down to Spencer but Spencer used it in a somewhat positive way sometimes felt like everything that was anybody trying to help her or trying to get her to go away was somehow betraying Chaser and therefore she wasn't going to do it she was going to live this this tough life and make everyone watch her do it and remember but also make everybody else suffer in the process because by doing what she'd done she also ensured that her daughter suffered. And that was yes. an incredibly unfair thing for any parent to do. I mean, you're a parent. Would you have done that to your children? No, no. I'm, I probably would have sent her out to the caves hunting still, but that's just, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's teaching you some hardship and some practical skills. But yeah, you're, you're right. That was a selfish thing. And did seem there was a lot of either a survival instinct or adult selfishness throughout the book with almost all of the adult characters you run across. Everyone's point of view becomes, is definitely skewed. And they there is from um, Cobb to the general to who just, oh, what was her name? I just blanked it. Ironside. Um, Ironside. Oh, she was. Uh, I absolutely disliked her from the word go. Selfishness and anger, and part of that is, I, I, I suppose, necessary to drive the plot forward. Part of it is, ne- 
living under a constant threat of attack, I suppose. But there wasn't a very, there, other than the grandmother, there wasn't a single adult character that didn't have some of that rage and selfishness built into him. That's the thing. I felt, I kind of felt for Cobb though, because he was forced to do what he'd done and didn't quite understand it. Yep. And then had to lie about it to people he cared about for the rest of his life. So he was almost punishing himself. By refusing to go back and do what he enjoyed at the same time. Yes, exactly. Once they figured figured that out, it was... Yeah, I can understand his reaction to, to that and the way he was pushing back against Ironsides as best he could. Yeah, I found that it seemed that Ironside was not very popular with anybody, though. Not her, not the staff that worked with her, not the founders the first citizens and the first citizens I, I i think that i think of them as founders because in many ways coming over on the ship makes me think of the mayflower mm-hmm. so the first citizens and he was a first citizen yep so i think that was his position what he used as his power against her his position as a first citizen but then the other first citizens ganged up on her towards the end as though they realized that her motives were not necessarily altruistic, but also wrong. Nobody with the cover up and with, which is a very interesting way they built that didn't go quite the way I was expecting. I don't know, more corruption than misunderstanding, if that makes sense. Yes. And the way the, those plots wrap up, make, make the, the, the first citizens maybe a little more sympathetic, but not really, because what they've done is found a way to create a have and have not system. Oh, I got my family owns like three fighters of our own, so I'll just go get those now while the, everybody else is kind of scrambling through life. And the concept of was it merit points so that you could have yeah. some sort of citizenship points to get nicer stuff made sense on some level if you're doing service to the community. But when you're intentionally keeping certain groups of people from do, doing it, isn't right. You know, you're. you're oh no! Yeah, it's unfortunately it's um it's life. <laughs> it is general society now. You think about it. There are the haves and have not have nots. There are the zero point one percent or the one percent. I reckon it's probably less than that that have a lot more than everybody else. I agree. I think the biggest thing for me was. And I don't want to give away the twist because, you know, I I hate spoilers Mm -hmm. with a passion. It kept on building all the way through the book. There were little hints that something wasn't quite right, that there was something beyond. I kept on thinking when we were, when she first meets Mm Embot, or rather when he first reveals himself as a talking sarcastic ship. And for some reason, I actually imagined him as British in my head. I, because the sarcasm came across very British. British, I actually, in my head, do uh, you remember Flight of the Navigator? I love that film, yes. I, uh, I, for some reason, was hearing the voice of the AI in Flight of the Navigator when I was reading MBOT. I want to say it was done by Pee Wee Herman or something. Mm-hmm. The original voice for the spaceship. Yes. In that, but... I heard British because of the sarcasm. Mm-hmm. He was very droll. Um, and I felt like he sounded younger. 
like he was learning from his pilots. So I felt like he sounded very young because he was turned off for so long. He didn't really have a lot of experiences. Yeah, that, that is true. He was very naive about things. Oh, I'm just going to write myself a new, a new program for this. And I'm going to spend all this time figuring out new ways of saying I'm offended. But he, w- I think he was an interesting addition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and the 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 ability that he used that the pull into the mystery that he added because of he couldn't could have very been easily been used to turn the entire book into Mbot becomes M exposition. Oh yeah, this is why we're here. This is what we're doing it. And I half expected that to happen several times. I have to be honest. And then the, he did a little bit when they started look, using him to analyze the the flight logs, but that was more providing an earned answer rather than just exposition at that point. I agree. He was one of the. He was a useful character. He wasn't someone who was flung in there just because oh, we needed an extra person in that scene or we needed an extra voice to explain something. I kept on waiting for him to reveal that he was Krell. But he seemed horrified at that. And I'm wondering, uh, I today was looking at some stuff on this because I was debating on ordering the next book and checking it out. But there is a... I already have. (laughs) You're ahead of me. (laughs) I've already got the next... I've already got the other two in the trilogy. We should probably explain a little bit about the book itself so do you want to give a summary of who the krell are and everything else from what the humans know who what what are the krell from what the humans know rather than what she reveals um, the krell are a bunch of attackers that continually attack humanity over and over again to potentially wipe out all the humans or invade the planet but they all there's always limitations on their invasions and they are the reason that humanity is on this junk planet. It's, I think it's named it's Detrius, right? Is the planet's name. Detri- it's, isn't it Detritus? Detritus. Which which actually means rubbish, yep. basically. That they are have been driven here, driven underground, and anytime the you, humans group up in large enough numbers, the aliens come to wipe you out. So they they are very much the boogeyman because they know very little about them at this point. And they're living hand to mouth in a society that is building on the ashes of the junk left when they crash landed on this planet. But they're also trying to rebuild society the way they remember it being when they were on earth. Yes. And trying to fight back against an, an, an alien and, 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 attacker that is so alien they don't really understand it however the enemy seems to understand them all too well i think that's the biggest issue they have agreed and the 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 twist of their with the that they reveal with the their purpose and the communications is explain kind of explained a lot from that point of view yeah that's the thing this i have to say that as I, I've already mentioned, I'm not a massive fan of the whole world building world building exercise mm-hmm. in fantasy fiction. It's just never been my thing. But I found that his world building was really good. It, it was consistent. There there weren't many holes that 
you could go, oh, there's a plot hole there, because no, a moment later, it's almost as though he went, oh, I've seen that plot hole, I'm going to fill it in. Yeah, the uh, the interesting, like I said, I've read some of Sanderson before, I read one of his trilogies, and he, it there was a lot of this word world building that was very, reminded me a lot of what he did with his, his original Mistborn trilogy, because you're, again, it was this, even though the, the details were different, the enemies were different, you, he he seems to have have an enjoyment and a skill about building on the ashes of the past, and I know that's a pretty common thing. But he does it well, where a lot of people do it very clumsily with prophecy. He does it with mm. details. That's the thing. I mean, there wasn't any mist. There was no mysticality to this book. No. And there was. We had uh, the grandmother with her tales of myth and legend with Beowulf and she, but she drew on Sun Tzu in the art of war and they were valuable lessons that she taught Spencer agreed and she and and, and tried to at the same tried to teach life lessons to her and tried to get some help her understand to a certain extent where her family came from through those stories not just earth but we're engineers. We are the, the, we are the people who could move us through space. Yeah, we're designers. We are the reason we're here in the first place. And you get that fantastic tale of how her grand, her great grandmother, it would have been, was able to guide them. But I still have so many questions, which is why I got the other two books. Because I really do want to know where that ship came from. Mm-hmm. If it had been on the planet for over a hundred years, and the and the survivors had only been there like was it seventy two or something like that? Yes, exactly. So that ship was there long before they were, with vastly advanced technology. And yeah, because they hadn't even they don't even have the con seem to have the concept of artificial intelligence with the among the. Uh, the people on the planet, but this is, and, and they discover the most advanced technology on the planet in a cave. Yeah, exactly. And you've got the, you've, they've got as far as holograms and things, mm-hmm. but obviously the planet isn't really suitable for plant growth and everything else. If everywhere is underground and there is no sun to be seen. And every, and every time you even get a large enough group, you're at risk. Exactly, which is why they all live underground. Yes, but what what did you? Who were your favorite characters in this, and why? I really liked Grand Grand because she um she was really really encouraging, and she was a very um interesting character to read, uh, just to to read her stories and to read the way she showed things, and to read about her from Spencer's point of view. And it was a very interesting um, way she uh, pointed out life lessons and just showed the um, Spencer that. And I think she also like show kind of pointed out Spencer's gift in hearing stars very naturally, like very quietly, even if Spencer didn't catch on to it. There were several of them I really liked. I. Strangely enough, despite the way it started, um, 
Jorgen, Jerkface. Yeah, same here. Because he, despite getting that name, despite, he could have very easily been turned into a Draco Malfoy type antagonist because here's the, the, the girl who has nothing because she, because of her father. And here's the kid born with the silver spoon in his mouth, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They set it up initially that way, but he was well-developed in a, what becomes a very sympathetic way. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, they started off with the first time she really noticed him was at the exam, which she wasn't going to bother taking because she'd already been told she was going to be flunked. Mm -hmm. And she sees him taking his test up with nothing but his name written on it, and he's automatically given a pin. Mm -hmm. So that's the immediate thought you get there is, yeah, they're going to be enemies. They're going to be massive rivals, and they're going to have nothing in common. And by the end of it, I was thinking, are they going to end up married? <laughs> I kind of ended up in the same place because that there, there was definitely, for all of the angst and ang- anguish between them, which seems to be, was created by both of them. Um, yeah. Oh, definitely. He was antagonistic towards her because of her father. Yes. But he knew the truth. And she was antagonistic towards him because he had everything. And she felt he was mocking her. Exactly. They, the way that he continued to reach out made him not just a, a character that you can relate to. He grew into a leader. She grew into a leader and a pilot, but he grew into a good group leader in that, in that process. Yeah. Um, because he didn't give up, even though he didn't, he, he, he owned what he did and he, and he apologized for it. I, if, unless I'm forgetting something and no, he did. And, and he, even though his life would have been easier if he got rid of her, he didn't want that because it was good for the group to have her. Because he knew that she was talented. Yes. Which is an important, I think that is the most important thing. He, he never underestimated her skill. He appreciated what she brought to the group. And as the group sadly grew smaller, yes, what seemed quite quickly, especially at the beginning, it was those deaths were quite I were unexpected. Yes. I'm so used to reading YA fiction where everybody is happy and there's very little death and they killed off three characters in one battle no two in one battle battle. and then the third one yeah yeah and then one and then the people who walked away right afterwards because there there was emotional repercussions like i can't handle this which which made it all that all the more real so do you think some of those uh, characters that kind of didn't really show up later on in the book at the in the the sort of the final scene did you get the the feeling like I did that uh, in the next book or the book after all of those plot threads and all of those characters are going to get pulled back into this world? I do get the feeling that the thing is at the end, Kimmelin and Ned came back, yeah. and so did Arturo. They all came back at the end. But our, the thing is, I don't think Arturo left because he wanted to. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, this goes back to the whole parents having power thing. His parents were incredibly high up in what they did. They had a massive amount of influence and they enabled him to, well, not enabled him. They kind of forced him to move away because they didn't want to lose him and they knew that that was a risk. And the same with, I mean, even Jorgen admitted that straight out that he wasn't free and he knew he couldn't be a pilot long term. His parents were going to keep him in flying just as long as it took. He had to fly a few missions as a full-blown pilot so that he could become a politician. Otherwise, there was no way. That's the only way. Yeah, but then at the same, but at the same time, given what happened in those battles, there was no guarantee that he'd last a few missions, whether he was a great pilot or not. Yeah. So they were taking the they were taking that risk that he was going to survive. Luckily, he did. But so there's no telling how much. Yeah, so far there's no telling how much trauma that has put on them. No. And all for a little bit more power. This is a society that is not is designed for what they have. If they ever make that goal, it's not going to last. It can't as as no. constituted. It's it's not set up well. So it's there, there'll be another power structure in place as soon as they find a way off the planet or defeat their enemies or something like that because people eventually will not stand for something that is developed on the backs of basically one battle 20 years ago, 30 years, 40 years ago. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the thing I found that it was a very interesting design and they kept on, there was one thing that I focused on when they were talking about when Cobb was talking with Ironside and he said and I think it was actually one of the other leaders said, they keep on getting younger. You're bringing in younger people and we're just sending them out to die. They were being used as cannon fodder. They were not, they were getting less and less training, less and less time, and they were being sacrificed. And that, and that's where Ironside got in. It was losing support there around the, from the rest of the first families because there was a recognition that she was wasting the few resources they had left. And I, I can't help wondering if the main reason she was doing that is all tied back to what happened with Spencer's father. She got into power not long after that entire thing. And all she's been doing ever since is almost trying to make up for the fact that it happened. And you don't find out until later on why that actually, why she is doing that and why she also has such a thing against Spencer. Why? Um, what did you think of how the uh, the the rig or the Raj character? How how they used that character? He was almost background noise, mm-hmm. which was which I found disappointing. I don't know if that was me misreading it, but even everything he did was kind of like, oh well, he's managed to do that, and the last time you see him is a note on Mbot saying. Oh, I've managed to do this with the ship. Thank you for the thing. And it was almost like that was a farewell. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go run and research lab now. <laughs> yeah. Bye. <laughs> it's like, okay, but you were best friends. She saved him from a bully. And granted what he'd done, he'd done because 
they were friends and he was following her dream. Mm-hmm. But why didn't he just stand up and say to her, I've passed this exam. I don't need to prove myself anymore. I don't want to do this. And if they're friends, it doesn't matter. No. And and she did seem to feel some guilt that he got drawn in because of her once she realized yeah. it wasn't his dream. But, you know, he he he's a character that needed development. He was a plot device, it felt like, a lot of the time. He felt very weak. Yes. It was it was almost as though they were trying to create him as or he was created almost to be a love interest that didn't quite work on the page. Mm-hmm. So it was like, well, I've written this character in, so I'm just going to change this a bit and then make him in unnecessary. Good point. That could very well be. What do you think, Erica? That I felt like he was a very background character. What Could the story have gone without him, though? Yeah, but I think um, that it was an interesting way to see, um, like, it, I felt like she sort of needed somebody to um, help with the engineering, but at the same time, she could have probably found somebody else to help with that. Might have been a different way, good way to build up some of the other pilots, some of the pilots who came to her, her aid when she was run down and whatnot could have filled that role, mm-hmm. but now you have a basically a weapon systems designer who has seen, well, the equivalent would be, hey, there is a flying saucer under Area 51, and you've got to study it for six months. Somehow or another, you're now no, are far ahead of everybody else. You're going to go run the weapons design program for the U.S. military. He's Gale in the Hunger Games. Yes. That's who he is. He is Gale in the Hunger Games. Half expect him to come back in book two, having joined a super paramilitary weapons manufacturing organization that is going to revolutionize their transport. That actually makes a lot of sense. Going to end up on the wrong side of the conflict, the, the, the way the conflict ends eventually. Because he is so focused on the science. And without Spencer pulling him back down to, in some ways, pulling him back down to the ground Mm -hmm. with the reality of you have got friends, you have got this, you have got that, he's going to end up just being a a device, A a designer. a, A weapons designer to be pointed and used, not a person. Yeah. We're predicting the second book and we haven't read it yet. (laughs) We're going down the the rabbit hole. What do you think, Erica? Do you think that is a possibility for him? I think that is a very, very strong possibility. But I also think that with the way Brandon Sanderson wrote the book, he might end up doing something else. Like what? I'm not completely sure, but I feel like Brandon Sanderson might see the fact that people um, predicted that idea while he was writing the second book and like chose to go in a different direction with him. So he might actually become a character rather than a plot device down the road. Maybe. So he won't just see his name on the door of a a lab somewhere. Maybe. I have made a bigger bomb that I will now send into space and make it blow things up. (laughs) The Philadelphia experiment (laughs) (laughs) or the Manhattan. Manhattan project. 
but that that's it isn't it there's always this risk i i do honestly see that there will there is a connection between jürgen and spencer mm-hmm. that will build and i can't help seeing i think he'll rebel against his parents and stay in and stay in yeah because he wants he wants to be on the ground floor he wants to actually do something constructive and he seems very resentful of his parents and and his place in society because he he feels that he is not free that he is beholden and his life is planned because of his parents and their their role in it um, that's the thing i think they are both spencer and jürgen are both in a very very similar position they're both restricted by who their parents are mhm i think the next book i it will be in Interesting to see how they rebuild that um, squadron because in the aftermath of that particular battle, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot left. No, there really doesn't. It makes you wonder if Cobb will get back in a in a fighter. Will Cobb get back in a fighter? How does Mbot lead into what happens next with the with the ships? And well, that's the thing. The next book is called Starsight. So I think it's going to be more of an exploration for Spencer into what she has already discovered about herself. And there was a lot that was on the page there at the end when she, with the, uh, with the star sight that is left very ambiguous. That that's, Yeah, but that's what I liked about the ending. I feel that there is so much that could be, we are making this incredibly ambiguous here because we don't want to give away the plot <laughs> or the, at least the plot twists and everything in it, because it's one of those books. I think that if you like fantasy, you like world building, you like Neil Gaiman, I suppose, and Terry Pratchett. And I'm trying to think of other writers that do this sort of stuff. There's loads of writers that do create entire universes. Neil Asher, um, is is one I really have read a lot of as of late. Just a lot of world building in a way that makes a makes things come together and make sense and makes it a good place to tell a story. It's the, I think the good thing about it is it's not a parable. No, you're not being lectured to. As I sometimes, being honest, felt when I watched Avatar. Um. <laughs> you you mean as as dances with Smurfs? Um. Is that what you call it? Oh yeah, that's what I call it. Dances with Smurfs because it, 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 you couldn't go t- watch five minutes without getting beat over the head with either a plot device or a lecture. Yeah, see, it, well, it was very, very uh, filled with the sort of lectures that you think, yes, we know this. There's no point in lecturing to us. Talk to China. Excuse me. <laughs> it's one of those frustrating things. There was no lecture even though it was quite obvious that part of the reason they'd had to move on was the destruction of earth there was no getting around it there's no way people would have spent hundreds of years and generations traveling through space otherwise no would you nope no you're looking for it's very much the uh looking for a new home approach and they didn't find the home they were expecting it sort certain elements of it, especially when they're talking, it made it sound like they were actually on a cruise ship. 
And certain parts of it made me think of that really bad film with Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence. I couldn't. Passengers. Passengers. I couldn't get through that one. That's awful, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, it made sitting here. It made me think of two seventies television series, one with a really good reboot, one they're attempting to reboot right now. The second season of the old Gil Gerard Buck Rogers series where they got on the searcher. Buck Rogers in the 20th century. century. Yep. The, the second season when they were kind of ripping out, riffing on star Trek and looking at those kind of things. And the, the, the concept behind the, the run of Battlestar Galactica, both versions of it what was very much in evidence here because why would we all stay in a ship and stay in a fleet other than we are trying to get someplace better? Yeah, because we've destroyed the other one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so either blown up or, or, or been com- made completely uninhabitable by something else. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is, it is quite interesting when you see these entire, I find it quite, strange when they said oh there was one big ship and five smaller ones that surrounded it yeah and so you start thinking the people hauler and the possibly the defense ships or the support and supply depending Mm. on how they've got it exactly but then it also makes you think well hang on a second how were they able to get this far if they're battling against an alien race and what did they have? There were so many, there were so many questions that this book left unanswered, but they were intriguing enough that it makes you want to read further. Are you going to read further, Erica? Um, I might, but I also might just move on to a different series. It didn't help me as much as I wanted it to, so I struggled reading it. What didn't you like about it? It was not my style of reading and it just it wasn't what? my style i did what? not like it what does as that much mean as I like it what does that mean what does it mean your style of reading i prefer fantasy than to sci-fi and i so if they were riding dragons rather than flying in spaceships you'd be all in not really it was just like a different style of writing that it did not hook me as much as i hoped it would and i just struggled through the book so what's the next, is there a book that you have your eye on? Is there a series that is catch, caught your eye and said, I will read this? Um, there's a book that I currently have that I'm going to read. It's like Battle Mage. Who's that by? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I have like three books that I need to read currently and they're Similar covers, but they're all by different writers and different style of writing and different characters. I was going to say, I think there's a series. I want to say it's about dragon riders. Dragon riders of Pearl. That's it. Thank you. It's been a very, very long time since I picked up one of those at the library. Oh, yeah. Those were outstanding and an interesting blend of science fiction and fantasy. Yeah. They might be your type of thing. They've definitely got dragons in them. And they have a very different... Is that the one? Uh-huh. I don't have it yet, but I want to read it. Okay. What's that one? Peter Flannery. It's the writer of Battle Mage. And it's got some good ratings, apparently. So. Well, that's, that's always good. That's the thing I found. This one had some really good ratings on it. Because normally I go through reviews and have a look and 
see some of them can be really pithy. <laughs> I, I have enjoyed that addition to your the, to the podcast. You just it was like for balance. Here's this and here's that. I'm like, oh, scathing. That one's pretty good. Oh, one of the one of the reviews. I think I've read so many reviews now and gone through books. And one of the reviews was so scathing. It was like, ouch. And I think it was it was for um the Thursday Murder Club, which I didn't particularly enjoy, if I'm completely honest. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine, when I said I was reading it, my friend read it for a book club that she's part of. And I told her I was reading it. And the first thing she said to me was, oh, there was nothing else. It was just, oh. And I thought, oh, great. This is going to be good then. And the reviews were, it was really difficult to find a positive one. You are on a run then because you've gotten some, every one of them you've, you've said, you can tell that you haven't enjoyed them as some, as much as you have some of your previous reads. It's like, oh, this was a struggle to get through. <laughs> yes, I've, I've had, there are certain books you read and I think it's with everything and anything. This book was really easy to read. I have to be honest. It was, I mean, it's 528 pages, so it's no small novel it's not like some of the 330 page books that I've been picking up and getting through in five minutes it wasn't a small book and it read like a short book he has he's put it together his prose just keeps you moving like I said yeah even though I I he went to some shorthand on character development early on he made up for it later because he was using especially with Rog Yes. And even to a certain extent early on until they got spent some time actually developing her mindset, uh, Spencer had a, you could have plugged her in the first two or three chapters. You could have removed her and put in, um, I won't say Hermione Granger. You could put it, plug in random female protagonist who has a parent problem and it wouldn't have made a difference until you Katniss got Everdeen. What? She could have been Katniss Everdeen. And I couldn't remember Katniss's name, so thank you. <laughs> but that's that is it. I think with a lot of these things, it sounds bad, especially when it's a, ma- a male author. Mm-hmm. There are difficulties with writing female protagonists. Mm-hmm. But this was almost this almost felt as though they were non-gender specific. Yes. Because they were all on an even footing. And he wasn't trying to write, at the same time, he wasn't trying to write romance. And so by not doing that and not digging into it and sticking very much with the the relationships that came out of training and survival, yeah, he, he could keep it at that level. As soon as he starts dipping his toes into relationships and romance it will be interesting to see how well he writes it well that was the thing i mean arturo had a girlfriend which we didn't discover until later on Mm -hmm. and rog was interested in okay who was he interested in he was interested in Rhea, i think was it it fm yes fm yeah he was interested in fm yeah freya see that was one of the things that i did find quite frustrating very very early on was the use of call signs. the two different the two but it wasn't I didn't have an issue with the use of the call signs at all. I had an issue with the fact that one paragraph to the next it would be call sign then name. And that when you're reading 
as I tend to quite quickly, that can be quite confusing because in one, not even three lines apart, he's, they said, oh, Quirk, mm-hmm. Kimmelin did this. It's like, Make okay, remind point. me. Yeah, please, either refer to her as Quirk or refer to her as Kimmelin. And I mentally, I, I had started forgetting the character names, even when they were used him. I was sticking so much to the the more easily call remembered signs. call signs at that point. Yeah, apart from, obviously, um, the one call sign that was nice and complicated, Arturo's yes. and Fizzabana. What? <laughs> yes, that one was like, I wasn't even like, yeah, that guy, he's not going to, probably not going to last the rest of the book because a name like that, you're just going to get shot down. But he did. The funny thing, well, I found it quite sad that the ones that died so early on were Bim, who didn't have a call sign at all. Yes. And Morning Tide, who Spencer had only just grown to realize couldn't speak English. And that was why she was so seemed so standoffish. And her guilt over the way she built that relationship after realizing her mistakes yeah. was huge character growth. But it was that that was a sad one. I, I had high hopes for that character. I had high hopes for the relationships that she was building within her group. Yes. Because of the fact that she realized that she was the one who was at fault in that particular instance, because sometimes she was, oh, it's their fault. They're they're judging me because of my dad. And she'd hear them laughing or talking and automatically think, oh, it's me they're laughing at. It's me they're talking about. It was a victimology. She built her walls and she was going to die within them. Yes, exactly. But the character development was really promising with them. And I even found the way that she felt guilty about Cobb interesting. Yeah. And I found that relationship between Cobb and her and how it developed and changed up and down, knowing that there was outside pressures on it, fascinating because I think that they they didn't immediately go to yes he's the mentor who is giving her an opportunity but i half expected it to go to more of a this is kind of a surrogate father relationship and it never hit that point but maybe there was a reason for that and i think part of that was his own guilt i do believe you're right i'm interested i wonder if i hope they stay away from that in the, the next couple of books It'll be interesting to see how far away from the stereotype or the stereotypical relationship building they do remain when it comes to this, especially as there are, if you say, if there's another one coming, there's going to be three further books. Mm -hmm. But it'll be interesting to see if they maintain this distance from the stereotype. So no triad, no Jürgen is the love interest. But at the same time, she's 18 years old. Yep. And that is the point where you do develop certain tundras and you do grow as a person. But is she going to spend her time developing this new skill she's discovered and her determination to stay in the sky? Or is she going to find more ties to actually keep her where she is? And with this is the other, the especially young a, uh, YA trope that you can... You, that I always think of as the Harry Potter trope, but it's everywhere is the fact that are they going to find a reason to 
as she develops this skill that can save them. Um, Harry Potter, it always seems that no matter how many times they've been taught the lesson that Harry's going to eventually do the right, is going to do the right thing for you. There's that moment where you have to isolate him and break him down and everybody hates and doesn't trust him there for a good portion of the book. Are we going to see that cycle or are we going to provide natural growth? Because that's the thing. We've already had that cycle. Yeah. So having in that again and again would be, sorry, JK Rowling, lazy. So if this isn't your ideal book, there must've been something about it that you liked apart from Rangrand. I like the ending where, um, don't, uh, they, don't give away too many details in the book. Don't give away the don't give away the ending. Oh yeah, um, I I like the ending a lot. With um, like there were a lot of um, how she realized that what she did was very stupid with um, what she did at towards the end. Like I don't know how to say it without giving away details. She realized she wasn't immortal. Yes, that always a good lesson. Yes, but I feel like yeah. that. Um, I feel like in the second book, there's going to be a, quite a few more lessons sort of like that towards her abilities. Yeah, probably. What about you, Chance? I enjoy getting to back into the sort of space operatic uh, reading <laughs> from time to time. And this has that feel to it to me. I'm looking forward to digging in and seeing where it goes. Um, the The characters... Have finally have finally started developing about midway through the book. The character I want to see grow the most, of course, is Doomslug. Oh, he, that was so cute! It reminds me of the little caterpillar in Labyrinth. Oh God, it's been too many years. I don't even remember Labyrinth at this point. What's Labyrinth? That is um, a sad failing in education there, Chance. I, yeah, I need to show her that just for no other reason that, so that she learns that Tom Cruise did something before Mission Impossible movies. No, that's not Labyrinth. Isn't it Labyrinth? No, that's Legend. Legend. Gosh, I'm really messing up. David Bowie is the... Uh, yeah, David Bowie and Jennifer Connelly. As the Goblin King. And yes, okay. Now I'm on the right track. <laughs> Erica might get too many. I, I haven't shown that one to her because I could see her donating her sisters to the Goblin King. Only the middle one. I like the youngest. You like the middle one too. She goes in my room. <laughs> yeah, that that I shared a room with my sister, my younger sister. It's getting her to come out of her room so is a win. This is this is the most I've seen her in a, on a weekend week on end day in months. Reading lots of books. Yes, of course. Yes, yeah, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. But Labyrinth is a necessary part of teenage education or child children's child education. Is it a book or is it a movie? It's a movie. But it's 1980s. No, it's not like The Princess Bride. It's 1980s fantasy. And it's with goblins and it's, talking animals. And it'll scare you. It's not scary. And there's beautiful dresses and weird Jim Henson puppets. Now, and Jim Henson puppets can be terrifying, as we, as those of us who grew up watching The Dark Crystal will remember. What's The Dark Crystal? I've failed again. You have failed again. 
<laughs> but Labyrinth, I went and saw an exhibit and they had the fire dancers at the exhibit. It was fantastic. Wow. Well, I guess we're going to have to find out where that's streaming now, huh? One thing I found very interesting was we very rarely got any physical descriptions of any of the characters. It was almost as though it was unimportant. We do find out that she has brown hair. Eventually. <laughs> yes, but that's all we find out about her, really. And she's short. L- less to mess with the casting director I- with, I guess. So. Yeah, she's 151 centimetres tall. And I know it sounds weird that that stuck with me, but it stuck with me because that's how tall I am. 151 centimetres, which is 4 foot 11. The... Uh... I'm trying to think of anybody else. They, they described facial expressions, but not what he, the, the characters actually looked like. I imagine Jürgen is Swedish. Yes. I, 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 a lot of Swedish and uh, like Freya and uh, is it, uh, Hurl. I can't say her. The, I won't say even make it a temporary. Hoodia. Yeah. Hoodia. Hoodia. Yeah. Uh, Definitely felt to me more like uh, the S- Swedish names. So that you see, I think that Hudia was actually, I'd say, Arabic. Oh, and I just for some reason related it to. I took when it's paired with Freya. I took it right down that that same Swedish yeah. line. If you look at the way it's spelled, H U D I Y A, I think she was Arabic. I think that Kimmelin was. Chinese. Mm-hmm. I took that. And uh, Alturo, I'd say, was Spanish, given Spanish. his Spanish or Italian. Yep. Magna, Eastern European. Yes. And Freya, definitely Swedish or Norwegian. Or Norwegian. Scandinavian descent, perhaps. But it was very interesting how we get, we don't get very much of a feeling of... Spencer, yeah, and and she's the central character. And the uh, the the last name doesn't help. I mean, Nightshade. You're getting na- named after a poison. Poison. <laughs> Pretty much. Did you like Spencer though, Erica? I I thought she was a very interesting character, but I didn't feel like I could relate to her very much. Why is that? Did you like her as a character in the book, or did you think that? She was, as you said earlier, could have been replaced by anybody. I do not feel like she could have been replaced by anybody. I think that she was a very um, necessary character that um, was... I feel like she was a very necessary character, but at the same time, she was harder for me to um, understand. But that's also because I have a very different personality than she does. If you were going to, if somebody said to you, explain this book to me in 30 seconds, how would you do it? I'd say that it's a very interesting sci-fi story about um, humans that evacuated Earth and got stuck on a new planet covered in garbage that and had to congregate, con- congregate underground to avoid an alien attacks, and it's about a coward's daughter who um is trying to become a pilot and her struggles not bad and that was in less than 30 seconds 
Would you actually recommend this book to anybody, though? I feel like there are a few people that I would definitely recommend it to based on their styles of reading, but I do not think that I would recommend it to every single person because people have very different reading styles. I apparently need to let her get a Goodreads account, get her writing reviews. Yeah, you do. Definitely. A Goodreads account is quite handy. I use mine a lot. So do I. Yeah, what about you, though, Chance? How would you sell this book to someone in 30 seconds? I would sell it as a opening act of a sci-fi romp or a, that is going to take us into some interesting directions to read it if you enjoy, um, possibly if you liked old Star Wars more than new Star Wars, read it there and enjoy. And I would encourage it for anybody that likes to see female-led science fiction because that seems to be a hard one to get right. And if you can get find it, this one at least has the potential to possibly do it right. So it's worth continuing to look at. And who would you recommend it to? Now you've recommended it to Erica and it didn't work. Yeah. That's not unusual, obviously. I recommend a lot of things she doesn't like. Um, but I would recommend it to what I think of as kind of my, as a tongue in cheek, I definitely put it out there for, to my nerd herd, the, the, the rest of the, 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 the people that I know that really like science fiction beyond that, I would in general recommend it to general sci-fi fans. Uh, I would probably send a copy to my mother, uh, to, to try out. She doesn't read a lot of science fiction, but enjoys what she does pick up. And, uh, beyond that, I'd give it a good review on Goodreads and hope that somebody read it. Yeah. Do you think that this has got a general appeal or is it very specific to that audience? I think it is. I think it, it would really appeal to Sanderson fans themselves. I think it, it and, and sci-fi fans, but beyond that, I don't think it creeps out and gets into the general public very far. Would it be a good introduction to science fiction for somebody though? Possibly. But I, I, I end up going classic 50s sci-fi when I do my introductions to that because that's what people think of. I'm the, I'm the, the, the rocket ships and straightforward, uh, the simplistic heroic stories tend to sell people a lot more quickly on science fiction than a lot of modern work. Interesting. See, I hadn't read science fiction for quite a while when I picked this one up. And I... Ha and I hadn't heard of Sanderson either. Again, I'm going to duck as um, a barrage of Sanderson fans come at me <laughs> with um, pitchforks and flaming torches. This is the fourth book of his I've read. He's got a lot more out there. Uh, his, his Mistborn trilogy I enjoyed. I haven't read the follow-ups. Uh, I haven't touched one. Mistborn sounds very fantasy. It It is completely fantasy, and it's non-standard fantasy. The, the, the sources of power are very interesting to me, and I don't want to give too much away on it just because... Are there dragons in it? No. This is... Uh, this Not that I remember, because it's been several years. What I do remember best about it was... Um, the importance of different types of metal and how they impact power. Ah, interesting. So would you recommend this 
either of you, would you recommend this as a book for somebody to just pick up and read on a Sunday afternoon? Or would you, or do you have another book that you would recommend, not necessarily by this author? <laughs> I know that, Erica, you haven't read anything else by him, but is there anything that you would recommend to somebody as a general Sunday afternoon read? Well, I definitely would recommend this as a very nice, quick Sunday read, but I would also recommend if, um, a book called Heist and Fire, I believe, and that one's a very interesting book, um, and it's a very interesting take on dra- dragons and wyverns. And I would recommend it for a quick Sunday read. Uh, it's not heavy, and these days finding something not heavy is a wonderful thing. Oh, I agree with that. But is there any other book that you'd recommend apart from Good Omens? Um, <laughs> I had to put that in there because I know that you would recommend that. I would recommend that. I have a list always. Um, I, I have been trying to get people to I continue to throw my copies of of uh, American Gods, which is still my favorite Gaiman. But uh, also rec- recent books instead of classic books. I would take a look at the author Neil Asher, uh, another science fiction author for rousing adventure space tales that are complex, but uh, he has a couple of different things set in a universe that is basically controlled by artificial intelligence that I think are absolutely wonderfully done. So you're on a bit of a sci-fi bent at the moment. When I get to sit down and read fiction books, definitely. When Because right now I've been very much on a non-fiction kick. Another book I would recommend if you like like survival books and books like Hatchet is a very interesting um, take on um, islanders like in like colonization times and it's called island of the blue dolphins not sure who it's by but it's a very interesting take on islanders during colonization times and survival and is a main character is a female protagonist which is also very interesting during those times yeah definitely there weren't that many female protagonists at least that were viewed in a complimentary way Mm -hmm. during those times if you look at the scarlet letter for example yes or anything during the salem witch trials anyway thank you so much this has been amazing because talking books with anybody who loves them is always fun it's amazing because there are so few readers in my middle school (laughs) it seems to be i think it's a thing with age and it will change yes possibly hopefully hopefully yeah, I'm a massive reader, but I always have been. And I think it's one of those things you, if you are not necessarily brought up with a love of reading, but you build a love of reading for whatever reason, it stays with you. And it's, just, I think it's, a, it's an important skill mm-hmm. Agreed. to take matter. in stuff in books. Learn so much on your own through it. Yep. Exactly. Anyway, Chance, where can everybody find you and your podcast and your Goodreads and everything else. Strive, Seek, Find podcast available wherever you can, you listen to your podcasts. We have, uh, I have the website, chancewhitmore.com. And I also have uh, a presence on um, Instagram under Strive, Seek, Find podcast and a on Facebook 
as for the Strive Seek Volume podcast. Check us out anywhere. It's every week. Well, almost every week, like clockwork, something new. Fantastic. Thank you ever so much. Erica, are you anywhere on social media or are you not quite there yet? I'm not allowed social media. Anyway, thanks ever so much for coming on and chatting. And we'll have to figure out what happens with the next book. Mm-hmm. Let's see if our predictions are right. Follow up coming soon. Do you love Marvel but are tired of hearing Cheeto-stained white guys talk about it? Are you hoping to see the X-Men and Avengers face off? Do you secretly want to be Jessica Jones or Daisy Johnson? Or do you want to be with Valkyrie? If so, you found your new favorite podcast. We're your hosts, Chris and Amy, and we're here to give you the commentary you want, plus occasional interviews with some of Marvel's most brilliant creative minds. We're Marvel, minus the mansplaining. Find us wherever you get your podcasts and visit us at themarvelousmadams.com. Madams, assemble. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening and thanks again to Chance and Erica for joining me. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family and please post a star rating on Good Pods, Spotify or Podchaser. You can follow me on Twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs and on Instagram at notbeforecoffeepodcast or you can check out my website notbeforecoffee.co.uk. Well, I need another cup of coffee as I really haven't had enough so I'm going to go and put the kettle on. Until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.